This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns from her vacation on Wednesday. Great to have you here with us, as always. Why are we seeing COVID-19 outbreaks among residents in long-term care when about 95% of residents have been fully vaccinated against the virus? It could be a testament to the strength of the Delta variant, which is now the dominant strain of COVID-19 in Ontario. This is the first of our topics to discuss with the Zoomer squad, and you are welcome as well to weigh in on any of the topics we discuss. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at Carp and Peter Mugridge is senior editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hello, squad. Hi, Jane. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jane. David, I'll get your reaction first to yet another COVID outbreak in long-term care post-vaccination. Well, I think that uh, the question you posed at the beginning, why is this happening, is unanswerable. We don't know. The the home in question seemed to have, I think they said, 94% of the residents had been vaccinated, the uh, 68%, 70%, I think, of the staff. So it may speak to the strength of the virus. You're quite right. But I think one of the problems is how little we know about the seriousness of the virus, just as an average engaged reader, I'm not particularly fanatic on it, but it's just reading it, following it the way we all do. I'm hearing that it's very contagious, but not very serious. Mm-hmm. And other people are saying it is very serious. So um, I don't think we can get to stopping all of this. If our goal is zero, uh, you know, zero uh, cases, I think we're going to be doing this three years from now. Uh, vaccines were supposed to provide an iron ring of protection. Those were the words of Premier Doug Ford, his health minister, Christine Elliott, uh, around long-term care homes. But, Bill, we're, we're not seeing that. Vaccines uh, are allowing the Delta variant to spread in some nursing homes. That's right. And, and uh, of course, that statement about the iron ring was made before the variants and, and shows that we just we're still learning about this virus and what uh, uh, can happen. Uh, we're finding that the people who are vaccinated still can carry it. Uh, we don't know how severe this outbreak is. In real, we're told that if people are vaccinated, uh, their symptoms will be less severe. That may be, be true. The research is still uh, catching up with it. But the bottom line is that uh, we now know that vaccination isn't the absolute uh, uh, way to solve the problem. We also have to keep uh, the other uh, things that we were keeping in place, uh, uh, self-distancing and other things to stop from spreading the, spreading the virus and, uh, and not let our guard down just because we think we're all well vaccinated. Well, well, certainly we are seeing evidence that even though you are fully vaccinated, you can still contract the Delta variant of the virus. I guess what's positive in all of this, Peter, is that we're not seeing deaths anywhere near like what we did in the first and second waves when nursing home residents contracted COVID-19. No, and, and it seems that... Um you know the the uh, the issue the press release issue it was all it, was, it wasn't very alarmist at all. It just said mm-hmm. a number of our residents have it. Um, they didn't mention any deaths or any serious complications, any hospitalizations. So um, that does lend hope that the current vaccination uh, regimen is is at least reducing the effect of the the new variant and um and and that's a good thing if if it's just going to cause sickness then i think we can live with that if it's going to cause death as it did in the first three waves then um 
that's a whole different story. At the moment, uh, looking at the long-term care ministry site, there are three active outbreaks in the province, so nowhere near what was happening in the first and second waves. There has been one resident death, uh, not at this current outbreak, the Arbor Creek Long-Term Care Center, but there was uh, a death, I believe it was at a nursing home in Burlington a couple of weeks ago. Otherwise, as Peter mentions, we're dealing with symptoms, but mild symptoms. So, yes, uh, I guess that is the question to ask all three of you. David, can we live with this? Is enough being done? Uh, And we'll talk about the idea behind mandating vaccines for long-term care workers. But is enough being done to protect the residents of the homes? Well, I think that it goes back to what the vaccination rate is. And you have to say if that's the tool and they've got 95 percent of the residents vaccinated and the 11 cases don't appear to be severe on that one, looking looking at it from the outside, not, you know, the don't have any other inside info. It looks like it is being done. But I, I echo what uh, Bill and Peter said. If we're if we're trying to say that this this isn't going to be over until we bring the case rate down to zero then it's never going to be over. We have to eventually get our heads around that maybe, maybe the new variants are less severe. And certainly what we ought to be aiming for is preventing death. Uh, And we're coming up to the flu season pretty soon. In a great year, in a terrific year, we have maybe 58, 60% of Canadians vaccinated. We have several thousand deaths a year from flu and we don't shut down our entire economy. Um, So, if we're looking to get out of this, I think we have to gradually get used to the idea that maybe, uh, you know, we, we need to watch these variants closely. But maybe if they just cause you know, illness, but not the same rate of fatality, maybe we have to uh, accept that as, as all that can be achieved realistically. But, David, though the number you uh, mentioned there for deaths related to flu, that's pre-pandemic. It was yes, actually, it it's remarkable what the public health measures did to curb uh, the, the flu cases in this country. Well, it, it did, but we still have, uh, I, I don't know how many thousand, it's in the, in the low thousands of deaths a year from ordinary seasonal flu. Right, but not in this last winter, though. No, but we're coming up to a new one. Now, yeah. what are we going to do? I'm worried about the fact that, uh, uh, and Bill and I were talking about this earlier, that, that many people think that uh, because they got the COVID shot, they're protected against the flu. That's going to be a whole other topic going forward. Well, Bill, what do you think about that? Keep up all of the protocols uh, that pertain to uh, making sure that we're curbing any kind of outbreak? Absolutely. To keep up the protocols and realize that uh, uh, that we now I'm I'm there. There are some extreme protocols that were uh, were instituted that it would not be wise to uh, continue things like uh, closing off the long term care facilities entirely and not letting uh, other caregivers and family members. And we can't uh, go back to, to that uh, uh, for many reasons, including the mental health of uh, the people living in in long term uh, care. But we do have to make sure, I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of the statistics that uh, uh, is not, I don't think, as positive as it looks is they, they say that uh, 68% of the staff were vaccinated. Well, that's only 68%. That means a third of them uh, are not uh, vaccinated. We know the long-term care homes are doing their best to put all the protection in they can, but when they, when they run into the legalities of demanding staff uh, have the... Uh, have their vaccinations and the need for enough staff to cover their cot between a rock and a hard place. And we feel that 32 percent not being vaccinated is not good news. No, it's not good news at all. And that those numbers that you mentioned are from the Arbor Creek Long-Term Care Center uh, for this latest outbreak of COVID-19 that we are referencing. Uh, well, this certainly begs the discussion of mandatory COVID vaccination for long-term care workers. Despite Premier Doug Ford's insistence, he will not make COVID vaccination mandatory for health care workers. Uh, is this a non-starter? Peter, uh, I'll begin with you. Well, um, it, there there are issues beyond um, you know public health measures here. Like the, the the big issue is whether it would stand up to a charter challenge. You you it, it seems clear you can't force someone to take um, you know medical treatment or to take um, 
you know, uh, take a vaccination needle unless it's other, otherwise mandated. And I think right now only one province, Alberta, has um, legislation that mandates vaccine in case of epidemic. So, so none of the province have this. And the question is whether it will stand up to a charter challenge. If people start losing their jobs because they've refused uh, a vaccination and they go to the courts, what will the courts say? And, and, and that's what that's what's for the Ford government is dancing around right now. They understand the need to get people vaccinated, but there is this legal issue, this constitutional issue, this rights issue that is hanging out there and no one knows quite how to deal with it. Interesting. We will be talking more about a call for mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers in the second half with the president of the Ontario Medical Association, Dr. Adam Kassam. But I do want to get our Zoomer squad's reaction. Uh, David, is this something um, that that Premier Ford may bend on or for the reasons that Peter mentioned, it's not going to become mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers? I think it would be I think he's making a mistake. Um, and again, I'm, I'm a layman. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. There may, be, there may be, you know, there may be constitutional issues that are, you know, beyond our scope. But there are many, many other professional requirements associated with uh, fulfilling a professional job, whether it's having to wear a hard hat or you can't go on a construction site, whether it's um, infection control in a hospital, the protocols you have to follow. I don't see why. Uh, it's one thing to say I'm going to mandate you, you must get a vaccine or else I'm going to throw you in jail. But it's another thing to say if you don't want to get a vaccine, that's great, but you can't work in this home. If you want to work in, in a long-term care home, that's one of the requirements uh, to get that job. If you don't want to do it, get another job. So we're not interfering with your, your civil rights or your protection from from arrest and trial, go ahead and don't get a vaccine, but you can't come into a long-term care home without it. I think that's just plain common sense. Bill, I wonder if the Premier is concerned, though, if uh, there is hesitancy among some of the long-term care workers, if he were to say, uh, you have to get your vaccine in order to work here, maybe there would be an exodus from long-term care, which is already struggling to have enough people in place. Well, uh, perhaps perhaps that would be, but isn't this a decision and a recommendation that should be made by medical uh, uh, professionals for medical reasons, not by politicians for uh, political uh, reasons? And we've done a little bit of uh, research into this area at CARP, and for instance, in the province of New Brunswick, they've uh, done just as David has said. They said, fine, if you don't want to uh, take the vaccine, you don't have to, but then you can't work at our long-term uh, care homes. And when challenged on that, the legal people that they talked to said that the safety of the majority has always uh, trumped over the rights of the individual when it came to higher court rulings on this kinds of things. So they're fairly confident that that would stand up in uh, court uh, when it probably will eventually go to a legal decision. And Bill, let me ask you this. Uh, has there been an exodus uh, from long-term care by workers who don't want to be vaccinated? At, at, to this point, there's been no indication that the, uh, uh, the problems of getting workers for their, the long-term care homes is any worse than it was before that. It, it continues to be a problem, but yeah, that problem is related to wages paid and hours that were not to whether or not they have to have a vaccine. Ah, interesting. Uh, it's Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby, our Zoomer squad is here. That was Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP, and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And your calls are welcome, as always, as we uh, move through the topics important to Zoomers this week. The numbers to call, 416 416- 3600740 or toll free 18667404740 let's talk about the milestone canada hit on friday with 50% of eligible residents now fully vaccinated against the virus with two shots more now than the percentage of eligible residents in the united states and it really is remarkable david that canada had such an extremely slow start because of our lack of access to vaccines with the rollout. Now we're leading the world. 
I think it's a very good, <laughs> it's obviously a very positive uh, indicator. I think it does speak to a difference between uh, the two countries. And, and if you if you look at the United States, I think you really have to, you're, we're flattening it out, but there are huge regional variations in those percentages, uh, that it's not all uniformly below 50%. But generally speaking, I think we are, we were less politicized about uh, the pandemic and about the vaccines in the first place. And I think we are more uh, trusting generally, I don't say blindly or naively, but more trusting generally uh, in the health information uh, that comes from uh, official sources. Uh, and uh, there's big chunks of the population in the U.S., that are, you know, very skeptical of this and are very uh, uh, suspicious of the, the official advice. And plus the official advice, especially in the U.S., has been very contradictory. Do you, why do you need to keep wearing a mask if you've been vaccinated? Well, here are some good reasons why. Here are some good reasons why not. So the messaging is much more clamorous and disjointed and jumbled, I think, south of the border than it's been uh, in our country. Peter, what are your thoughts as as we surpass the United States in percentage of uh, double vaxxed? Yeah, they they keep saying, uh, news reports keep saying it's plateaued in the U.S. So that, that seems to suggest that, you know, everyone who wanted the vaccine has got it. And that um, now they, they're trying to get into, you know, um, groups that don't necessarily want the, uh, the vaccine and they're not having a great effect. Whereas in Canada, you know, those, those political divisions don't really matter around the vaccine and uh, the uptake has been much higher. So um, this, this is going to pose an issue for border opening. Like if, if the U.S. stays at their rate and, and doesn't, you know, keep going, or if it is indeed plateaued, this is going to be a problem for uh, for the border reopening. We are expecting to hear some of those details today. An actual date is to be attached uh, as to when we will allow in Canada double vaccinated American residents to come into Canada. We're expecting to hear that date today because we're two days out from the current expiry date of July 21st for non-essential visits to Canada. Bill, what are your thoughts about this milestone we've hit in Canada Double vaxxed, fifty percent. Well, it's uh, it's it's good news. It's better news than some of us thought we were going to hear a few months ago when we were lagging behind so much. There is worry among our car members about the fact that the, the United States is not doing as well. Many of our members like to travel there, want to travel there. They're eager to have the borders open, and now they're they're very hesitant. Uh, uh, anxious, in fact, about what's happening in, in, in the States, hoping that the same thing won't happen here, that we won't reach that 50% plateau and, and then see it uh, drop off. And that's why uh, there's a belief that we have to continue the pressure to uh, get everyone to uh, get vaccinated. We're told that in, in many of the provinces, uh, uh, they've seen uh, a slowdown in the number of people who are lining out, uh, lining up to get vaccines. So we, as Peter said, we need a real effort to make sure uh, that the other half of the population finishes off the job the rest of us have started. We actually have a call here from someone uh, who wants to get in on the conversation about vaccines. Uh, and uh, this is Jerry in Scarborough. What, what are your thoughts today, Jerry? Well, uh, what, my problem is just how secure is this vaccine. Everybody's talking about getting your shots and that. Me, My son and I, both in April, got the uh, the uh, vaccine, and right after that, we both got sick. I ended I ended up in hospital for four days under, under oxygen. Now, I've got the second Moderna one, and now everybody's talking about this new strain. Now, just how protected... Are we? Now, normally vaccines and that take years to produce. This thing has been pushed through miggity split. Now, do these scientists really know how effective it's going to be against this virus? Or is this just going to be one somersault after another and just wait and see how many get sick? And, oh, it didn't work for these people. We're going to have to change the formula around and try something different. 
Jerry, uh, I really, Jerry, I appreciate your call. I'm going to let you go and we will discuss uh, a possible answer to your question. Uh, certainly, David, uh, with one shot of vaccine, you were not nowhere near as protected as two shots. And this is why there is such a push to get people who've had their first shot uh, their second shot. Well, I think that's right. And I think that, that uh, Jerry makes a good point about do we really need it? Do we really know everything we need to know that we would normally know uh, about a, a medication, be it vaccine or other, that had been years and years in development? But when you're dealing with a public health issue, if we're, then big statistics matter and how are you taking care of the majority of people matters. And the data has been very uh, convincing that one shot is better than no shots and two shots is better than one shot and both alternatives are better than nothing. So I think that we do have to push forward. And if there's further research and development, if there's new strains and new vaccines, Pfizer's already talking about uh, they're working on booster shots. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we will continue to avail ourselves of everything that comes out of the lab. Well, Peter, and in terms of uh, pushing the public to get that second shot, uh, you know, all kinds of creative ways are, are being put out there, including Pfizer Fridays uh, at all of the clinics, the mass clinics in Peel region. So if people are really want the same brand, they want a second Pfizer shot to their first Pfizer shot. The public health experts, even though they say it doesn't matter whether you get Moderna or Pfizer second, the science shows that both are equally as effective and safe. Safe, but they're they're making that concession for people so they can be comfortable. There's also this clinic at uh, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which I just think is a wonderful idea today, where they're uh, encouraging people who have phobias around getting a needle or have other medical anxieties to come and have a clinician sit with them while they're getting their shot. It's just, it seems like we are becoming more creative in, in trying to get people vaccinated. Yeah, and and that, I, that, uh, the, that clinic you're referring to, you, you come in and you sit down, and it's it's much less much less of an assembly line than the vaccination centers and the uh, pharmacies where you just go in, you don't really speak to anyone, you fill out a form, you get your shot, you leave. These this one for people who are hesitant or worried or anxious, they can talk to someone, talk it through in a relaxed setting, and you know if if, if that helps. Up, the, up their uh, vaccination willingness, then it, then it's a good idea. But but Jerry's right. I mean, the the, the there is an awful lot of unknowns about both uh, all all the vaccines, and uh, it's just as David says, it's the best we have right now, and and that's that's the route we're going. We we have no certainty that it's going to you know um, defeat the Delta variants. In fact, like Israel's already looking at a third vaccine. Quebec is looking at a third vaccine. So, uh, you know, it, it is a it is a lot of unknowns out there, and uh, but just generally going with what we do, you know, what we think is the best uh, policy right now. Bill, did you want to react to Jerry's call? Well, yeah. One one thing that I think is important we point out, even though because there are a lot of unknowns, because we won't know the eventual outcomes of effectiveness. Uh, uh, being able to produce those uh, vaccines uh, in one year in a process that in the past has taken six to eight years to do is because they have sped up that whole process. They have not skipped any steps. There, there has been no science that has been missed in doing that. They're as safe as they can be, as they would be if they were produced under normal circumstances. What we don't have is can only have in time is the long-term uh, view. So I wouldn't want to suggest in any way we're supporting some thought that somehow they aren't uh, they aren't safe and they aren't uh, something that we should take. Now they are the best we have. They've and they have gone through that that whole auditing process to make sure that uh, they are they are not going to harm. And hopefully, in the long run, we will prove that they have done as good or a better job than we intended them to do. But that should never be an excuse for not taking the vaccines that we have now. Zoomer Squad, we are out of time. It always goes by so quickly. Thank you all so much. 
Jane, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Monday's Zoomer Squad here on Fight Back. Jane, for Libby and still to come in the second half hour of Fight Back, should it be mandatory for Ontario healthcare workers to get fully vaccinated against COVID-19? OMA President Dr. Adam Kassim thinks so. What about you? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is back on Wednesday. There is a growing call for mandated COVID-19 vaccines for healthcare workers in this province. So far, Ontario's premier is not budging on his stance, refusing to make COVID vaccinations mandatory for all Ontario healthcare employees. No, I think it's their constitutional right to take it or not take it. These are super bright people that work their backs off. The unsung heroes, as I as I say, the PSWs and the uh, the nurses and the docs. That, you know, they they understand healthcare a lot better than I do. So we encourage them to do it. I've been up here for months, begging, pleading everyone to get it, but uh, no one should be forced to do anything. That was Doug Ford on Thursday, a day before a news release was put out by the Ontario Medical Association calling for mandated vaccinations for all healthcare workers. Other groups, like the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, also calling for this policy to be implemented. And this group in particular, the RNAO, says that the Premier is on the wrong side of science. What do you think? Should healthcare workers be forced to get their COVID shots? For one Six three six zero zero seven forty or toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Joining us with his perspective is the president of the Ontario Medical Association, Dr. Adam Kassim. Doctor, thanks for joining us here today. Jane, thank you for having me. So, Dr. Kassim, help me understand why a healthcare worker would not want to be vaccinated against COVID nineteen. Well, Jane, the first thing I think that your your listeners should understand is that, or is that the vaccines are safe, that they are effective. And we're seeing that with lower case counts, improved ICU capacity across the province, and really a general restoration of our health system capacity. Remember, about seven or eight months ago when we were in the middle of, I guess, the second wave, we had to shut down a lot of our healthcare infrastructure in order to make room to take care of COVID-19 patients. And what that amounted to ultimately was that we then had a backlog of care for everyone else in the province started starting to grow. And so ultimately what we know now, of course, is that since we have the vaccines, which are a medical miracle, to be very honest, we know that the vaccines are the best way to stop the spread of COVID-19 and really become an essential component in being able to protect not only our friends and family that we love, of course, but also our patients who we serve. And so we, we believe that the healthcare workers who are working in these settings should be fully vaccinated. And on Friday, we released our statement, which we're proud to share that 98% of doctors who completed our survey indicated that they were fully vaccinated. So to me, that shows that docs are not only talking the talk, but they're also walking the walk and they're leading by example. Well, that's interesting. Let's talk about the different professions within healthcare. Doctors, 98%. Do you have a breakdown for nurses, long-term care workers, other healthcare employees? Jane, we don't because we don't represent those um, uh, those workers. We, uh, you know, my role as president of the OMA is to represent the 43,000 physicians across the province in all corners. And I speak to a lot of them on a regular basis, given my role and also given, given my clinical capacity in a number of different hospitals. And so I haven't spoken to a single doctor that I know of who has not yet been fully vaccinated, which I'm extremely proud of. And so our job, I think, moving forward, of course, and when we talk about jurisdiction of policy decisions, we think about things like mandating vaccines, obviously, which is the conversation we're talking about now, resides ultimately with not only government, both at the federal and provincial levels, but also with healthcare institutions like hospitals, community health centers, long-term care homes, and other facilities. And so that's really where the decisions of these types of, of, of policies happen and are ultimately implemented. Okay, understanding that you represent Ontario's doctors, uh, there is obviously some hesitancy uh, within the, uh, 
within healthcare. Uh, anecdotally, who which employees are are more likely to be hesitant to get the COVID vaccine? We're certainly seeing a lot of that in long term care. Yeah, Jane, I, you know, I really can't comment anecdotally because I don't think that would provide a very accurate representation of what is happening on the ground, which is why we need data and which is why what we waited until Friday to be able to release our statement because ultimately any of the policy decisions that have, that have happened throughout this pandemic on any number of files have to be governed and ultimately directed by data. Evidence-based policy is sort of this, uh, this best practice. And so what we really wanted to do is be able to share our data. And we're optimistic that... Uh, Doing so gives actual confidence to not only other organizations, but more importantly to our patients and the public. We really need, as we know, two doses in arms. We need people to be fully vaccinated. We need, we need them to be able to do so over the next coming weeks and months. And we're going to continue to do that work to, to everyone who is eligible to have a vaccine to get one. Well, clearly you are trying to message other people in the healthcare profession as well. Jane, we, uh, we have advocated since the get-go, uh, that as soon as the were available and that they were approved by Health Canada, that they were approved by other jurisdictions, and ultimately that when they were made available to us in terms of both supply and then ultimately distribution channels, that uh, we would we would be we would be vocal advocate for vaccines. You know, I work vaccine clinics uh, almost weekend based, uh, every weekend with my wife, who's a family doctor, and we've seen you know thousands of patients, and we've had very good conversations with a number of people who might have been uh, on the fence and being able to ultimately provide them, I think, with a reliable good information to make a, to make decisions about their health care. And we're going to continue to, to make sure that through the next coming weeks, we, we channel as much of that energy to, to this effort as possible. Dr. Kassam, I do want to get to the phones. Zoomer radio listeners want to get in on this conversation about making vaccines mandatory for health care workers. Should we or should we not? 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Premier Ford does not appear ready to change his perspective or stance on this. So why the push when he is clearly saying no? Is there is there some thought that he might change his mind? And you're going to have to ask the premier and the government that question. And I think what we are seeing now on the ground is that uh, any any success that we have or have had and hopefully will continue to have throughout this pandemic is based on collaboration, based on teamwork, an all-hands-on-deck approach, which the profession has been doing over the past 16 months. And so those, again, that, that kind of discussion and those decisions happen with other stakeholders like provincial and federal governments with institutions who are self-governing as far as their policies are concerned. And I do think that there will hopefully be um, an ability to, to, to find a, a critical path forward for success. So, so Dr. Kassam and Dr. Adam Kassam is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Why the extra push now? Do, do you sense that there is a bit of a slowing down of the vaccination process? I think that we've seen some data that shows that we are perhaps hitting a, a ceiling that uh, we would like to be a little bit higher. And of course, in the context of the Delta variant that uh, is, is spreading into other jurisdictions around the world, when we think of, for example, the, the United States, who we recently surpassed per capita, the percentage of our population that's fully vaccinated, which is a remarkable feat in and of itself, given the fact that we started a little bit later in our vaccination rollout. What we're finding down there is that uh, the, the, the next wave which we desperately want to avoid here in Ontario and, of course, in Canada, is happening amongst the unvaccinated. And so this 20% of folks right now who remain unvaccinated in Canada, as far as their first dose uh, is concerned, and, and second dose is, of course, rolling out now, uh, we really want that number to be lower. And so this is really a concerted effort to make sure that we try and inch that, uh, that ceiling up. And I do believe that communication and education and having people have exposure and access to the right information to make a decision will be the best way. Should COVID vaccines be mandatory for healthcare workers in this province? Let's go to the phones. Derek in Toronto, what's your take on this? My name. I, I think that uh, it should not be mandatory. Uh, we have rights, and this is not a communist country. If, if, if they're going to tell us what to do, what what, what are they going to do? They're going to start telling us to lock our doors. Don't lock our doors, like. This is not a dictator country, so we should we have rights and we should be able to do, make our own decisions. Well, what about making the criteria to be a healthcare worker? You must be vaccinated in order to to do this kind of work. Let's go to Marty in Toronto. Marty, go ahead. 
Yeah, good morning. How are you? Uh, fine, thanks. What are your thoughts on mandatory oh, very vaccines? much like the gentleman just mentioned. Now, here, there's so many questions here. With Dr. Kasson, I believe his name is? Yes. Number one, like his numbers. I'm a numbers person. I've been in a broker's business for all my life. I look at numbers. You can do a lot of with numbers. Number one, he mentioned 98% of the doctors that took the um, questionnaire agreed with it. How about the people that didn't take the questionnaire? Why is this being stuffed, stuffed down our throat? We're being intimidated, locked down in hotels if you want to go out of the country. Yet Dr. Fauci himself says that if you have your vaccination, he feels perfectly safe. So argument about affecting other people is out the window. Because number one, if you've got your vaccination, you shouldn't have to worry about me. Because, hey, that should be my choice if I want to be vaccinated. Like-minded people like me, if they don't want to be vaccinations and want to risk getting COVID and living through it, should be their choice as well. Okay, I want to go to Dr. Kassim and, and uh, that question that Marty was asking there. Is I do feel confident that it's 98% of doctors in the province that have been double-faxed, or as he said, is it just those who answered the questionnaire? Well, of course, we have 43,000 physicians across the province, and so you can imagine with healthcare workers, especially our doctors across the province, doing work every single day to, to protect Ontarians. Uh, we do believe, however, that uh, the surveys that we have had filled out are representative of that of that segments of our uh, of our healthcare workforce. Obviously, that 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 survey is still live and it's still filled, and so as we get more responses, we'll be able to update our our data accordingly. But we thought it was important to share now because we are at a critical juncture and we do believe that uh, that the vaccines right now, if we can get as many of the doses in arms as possible, and we're asking folks to listen to the advice of our public health experts and listen to the advice of their doctors and then make an informed decision. The conversation that we're having now is about healthcare workers in a healthcare setting, which is a slightly different and a nuanced conversation that we should be having. I'm glad that we are having it. Okay. And and certainly that's how polling and studies work. If you take a sample of a group, you can make an assumption or you can you can make a conclusion based on that, that a certain percentage of the population will feel a certain way or a certain percentage of those, the respondents will feel a certain way. Let's go to Carol in Niagara Falls. Carol, your thoughts on mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers in Ontario? Yes, I think it should be mandatory for anybody who works in any kind of service, whether it be the grocery store, the hairstylist, or anybody. You're coming in contact with people like myself who have an immune deficiency plus a blood disorder. I can't afford to be sick. Those two gentlemen, they have their opinion, but... They're wrong. They have to be vaccinated in order for people like me not to be get sick. Okay, That's Carol. My opinion. Thank you very much for calling in. We do appreciate your perspective. I think the majority of people feel that way, Dr. Kasson. I think that there is a general sentiment in the public that uh, mandatory vaccines, at least in the healthcare worker sector, is a good idea. And there is a case to be made, a very strong one at that, given the fact that there are other requirements, for example, in healthcare to be vaccinated. So, for example, when I was going through medical school uh, and then ultimately into my clinical rotations, I had to prove and take vaccinations or prove my vaccination of a number of different diseases in order to be able to interact with patients on a daily basis in a clinical capacity. And so there is precedent for vaccination in healthcare already. And we also know, for example, that uh, the flu shot is mandatory for healthcare workers in certain institutions across the province. So the fact that this is so uh, so much of a polarizing issue now, I think perhaps uh, uh, it, it basically ignores some of the precedent in the past as well. Well, and certainly vaccinations are required uh, for students in our public school system. They have to get their mumps, rubella, uh, measles vaccines, and they have to be kept up to date in order to, to secure a spot in a classroom. And you're absolutely right, Jane. And, and let's not forget what we are seeing in other parts of the world with, among the unvaccinated is that the healthcare system once again becomes stressed. So it's not just about uh, people's rights, but what end up, ends up happening is you have, we, have, we, we desperately want to avoid another situation in Ontario where we are having to reorganize our healthcare system. 16 million points of care, non-COVID points of care, have been delayed as a result of the pandemic. That means people's cancer screening is going delayed. It means that people's hips and knee replacements are, are being delayed, all because we had to create capacity in our healthcare system. And we don't want to have to do that again because everyone else 
and all of their healthcare needs are affected in the same way. Let's go to Elizabeth and Scarborough. Elizabeth, your thoughts on mandatory vaccines okay, for my uh, thoughts yeah. are I think it should be mandatory. And if it if people decide not to take the vaccine, then they should be, if they get the virus and they're in hospital, they should bear their own expenses. I should not have to pay for someone who is being hospitalized and treated because they did not want to take the vaccine. Okay, Elizabeth, thank you for that. Although that's never going to happen, is it, Dr. Kasim? Well, I think it's a slippery slope because then you could make the argument that anyone who has liver cirrhosis as a result of alcoholism shouldn't be treated and transplants for for, for lung disease, et cetera, for smokers. So I think that's a challenging argument to be made, but we're not supposed to be judging that as healthcare providers. That's not our job, however, but... Um, it, it is uh, ultimately, again, trying to get as many people fully vaccinated and, and having our healthcare workers vaccinated, I believe, is a, is a good idea. We will leave it there. It A hot topic, to be sure. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Jane. Thank you. Dr. Adam Kassim is president of the Ontario Medical Association. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And still to come, privilege comes with being double-vaxxed, how some business owners are asking for proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 before allowing you inside. Do you like this idea, or is it an invasion of privacy? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to be with you. Libby returns on Wednesday. We're starting to hear how certain organizations and businesses are requiring proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 before allowing customers inside their facilities. Is this a good idea in trying to keep everyone safe, patrons and employees, or is it an over-ask and an invasion of privacy? Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Among the local businesses requiring proof of vaccination is Fillmore's Adult Club, Fight Back, wanted to find out why. Joining us is Casper Cameron, manager of Fillmore's. Casper, thanks for being with us. You're very welcome. Good afternoon. So what led to your decision to require proof of vaccination for patrons? Well, I think yeah, I think the one thing I should say right away is that um, a lot of people are familiar with the th- three waves. But unfortunately, in our industry, we've only had one, and it started roughly two years ago. Um, we, being an entertainment business, we've never had the chance to pivot. So it's not like we can bring our dancers outside or bring the entertainment outside or do a patio option. It's just not possible. And it's not just for us. It's basically anybody who's a venue operator or uh, provides entertainment in any capacity. So with that being said, when um, when the plans uh, for phase one, phase two, and phase three were, were being introduced, we started reaching out to our entertainers, our staff, our management, to see who was available and uh, who was coming back. And, um, and, um, and the number one concern that we uh, kept hearing was safety. They were concerned for their safety. How safe is it going to be? And that's when we decided on our own that we're going to require all our staff, including management and entertainers, to be vaccinated. So this was that's really this this was really um, an effort to protect your employees. Well, that's how it started, and then it switched, and then we switched to you know how are we going to handle the customers, which was as we got closer to phase three. And um, it was a mutual decision amongst all of us, especially the staff and entertainers, that they they wanted to feel safe as well. And I have a moral and ethical responsibility to provide the safest workplace possible. So that's why we took the course we did. So you've only been opened since Friday. How is the policy being received so far? It's been astronomical. I am overwhelmed. And for lack of a better word, I'm shocked at the uh, response we've had. It's been extremely positive. So what happens at the door? You have a patron arriving. What proof of COVID vaccination are you requiring? Well, this is the problem, right? There is no vaccine passport, right? I don't know why there isn't, but there is not. 
Um, other cities, communities, provinces, countries have made it mandatory. Ours have not from a municipal, provincial, and even federal level. Uh, they haven't done that. So the onus has been put onto us. And one of the problems or uh, uh, challenges that we're facing is that uh, as people are coming, as some of our entertainers, for example, are coming back, because just because we're locked down here, they scattered. They went to Florida. They went to Texas. They went to Europe. They, they still had to do their craft. So some of the vaccines that we're seeing coming back, we've never even heard of. Um, so we had to do our research to see, okay, what vaccines are out there? What is, what is, does Canada recognize these vaccines? And uh, again, it's a challenge that to me is completely unnecessary if we had a vaccine passport. So we're doing our best efforts. And, uh, but to be honest, we haven't had any problems um, with anybody. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's been enthusiastically. People are, our customers are walking in going, hey, I'm vaccinated. That's how supportive our, patron, our patrons have been. I'm speaking with Casper Cameron, manager of Fillmore's Adult Club, uh, about their policy to provide proof of double vaccination against COVID-19 before entering the facility. Um, so uh, I guess the easiest way, and this is what Premier Ford was mentioning last week, is printing off uh, the email that you get from the Ministry of Health after your second shot. Yeah, we are accepting that, yeah. And, and what about a negative COVID test? Does that suffice for those who are not fully vaccinated? Um, that's a very good question. I don't know if I can answer that at this time. We've, uh, we, haven't, we haven't had anybody say, hey, I have a negative COVID test. Like I said, it's been enthusiastically, like almost like in a braggadocious way, like, look, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I want to visit your establishment. That's been the reception we've been getting. I want to go to the phones here, Casper. We have some callers that want to get in on the conversation. Bill in Wingham, what do you think about proof of vaccination for businesses that require it? Yes, I, I agree with that. You should be double vaccin- vaccinated to get into any venue. And also, we're flying out to B.C. on the 8th of, of August. And I'd like to see that as a requirement to get on an airplane because my wife is immunocompromised. And we have to go on this plane not knowing, you know, who's vaccinated and who's not. So we have to double mask and, and sit there for four hours not knowing what's going on. So, so you, you, like, you like the idea, no problem. Definitely. Okay, thank you for calling. Casper, um, is a business like Fillmore's in need of this policy more because of the possible closer contact between patrons and workers? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I, I, to me, this is an overall consensus. Whether you're at an adult entertainment club or at a restaurant, it's it's the same distance. It's the same close. Like there's no, um, you're still going to be in contact with people. We are still operating with social distancing measures and still following the Ontario guidelines within the facility. It's just um, like I can't iterate enough. Uh, without a vaccine passport, the onus is put on us. So, so we you- have to do what we have to do. Okay, so it was okay that that makes it clear then that uh, social distancing is still very much part of what's happening in your in your club. Yeah, and dan- and dancers are still wearing masks. Uh, yeah. Staff is still wearing masks. Uh, management still wearing masks. Like we follow every single guideline to the T, and we've taken it two steps further. Now, so you have not had a single person come to the doors since you reopened on Friday, uh, objecting to this policy of providing proof of vaccination. Not a single person. Matter of fact, it's been the opposite. I've got lots of emails. I've got lots of hate calls, but not one single person has protested at the door. Who's who's come to the door to say that? Now, is this a policy you would like to see implemented everywhere, or are you just, or do you think it's a business by business? No, I think it's the health and safety of the whole community. Like um, uh, the argument I keep hearing is it's it's an infringing on privacy rights, which. Which I got to be honest with you, I understand. There's no framework for getting me that. And that's why I think it's very irresponsible to not have a vaccine pass. It shouldn't be left up to the business community and the people. If 80% of the province is vaccinated, that shows a willingness to be vaccinated. And once you eliminate the people that are 12 and under that can't be vaccinated, how many people are you talking about? Probably 6, 7% of the population. Right. Let, let, we'll take one more call here before we wrap up the segment. Sharif in Mississauga, do you have an opinion on uh, whether businesses should require proof of vaccination? I think it should, but my patients worry 
this is a dictatorship. I lived in a communist country. I don't need their nonsense anymore. Okay, it doesn't need this nonsense anymore. I think, you know, Casper, when we're talking about providing proof of vaccination, this is an effort to keep the public safe, to keep everyone safe. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's interesting that some people do see it as a dictatorship or imposing, uh, societal values on everyone, um, which, you know, some individuals find is not appropriate. I, and I understand that with them. I also have the same, um, I have the same concerns as well, but, um, I had those concerns when we were being locked down and, uh, 20% of the population, like, like my establishment and other, uh, venues that uh, provide entertainment, including the Blue Jays, Maple Leafs, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we've only had one wave and it started two years ago where other people have had a chance to pivot. Uh, do takeout, do outdoor dining, all that. We have not had that opportunity. We have been in one lockdown, and it has been almost two years now. So at the end of the day, and I I agree, it's a fine line between public safety and privacy. I totally understand that, and I agree with with that. But you have to take a stand. Our stand is for the health and safety of our staff, employees, and our patronage, and we feel comfortable and confident that we're doing the right thing. Well, I thank you very much for your time today, and certainly a lot of people do agree with you. Uh, the fact that you're protecting your workers and your patrons is admirable, so uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome, and uh, hopefully we'll see you down at the club sometime soon. That's Casper Cameron. He is the manager of Fillmore's Adult Club, where they have imposed proof of vaccination for their patrons to be able to go inside. It is uh, that kind of a policy is starting to gain momentum, and we will talk more about it in the days and weeks to come for sure. It's Jane for Libby, and I'll look forward to being back with you tomorrow when we are joined by our strategy panel. Up next, the news with Jeremy Logan. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.